communication, outreach, conversation, engagement. Talking to a camera is a very different skill than giving a lecture to a bunch of undergraduates. They're both amazing, and they both take a lot of work to be good. Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. Welcome, everybody, to an exciting episode, my favorite type of episode, a celebration episode, an episode celebrating 200,000 subscribers on this YouTube channel. So we're going to have a little bit of a party going through some questions that I got from Twitter, from YouTube, from Instagram, from threads, from Mastodon. No, I don't. I'm not on Mastodon. Remember everybody was saying they're going to abandon Twitter, X, whatever it's called, and go to Mastodon or Blue Sky, and I still see people saying they're about to do that. So uh, I want to just thank you guys so much for being a part of this wild ride. I'm going to answer a bunch of questions, and hopefully uh, you guys will be uh, be thrilled and stick around and share the channel with even more people. and. There are people saying, you know, some wonderful things in the comments, and I'm just so overjoyed by getting to do this. My, you know, side hustle, I suppose you can call it. It's not my, not my main hustle. My main job is teaching some of the most brilliant students in the world at UC San Diego, where I have the honor of being the Chancellor's Distinguished Professor of Physics for the last four or five years. Got a couple more years left on that term. And uh, this year is really exciting because we're starting operations with the Simons Observatory in just a few months. Uh, it's going to be a real revolutionary instrument. And I'm proud to be one of the co-leaders of that project and the initiator of it uh, back in 2015. It's hard to believe we're in the ninth year of it, uh, since it was uh, just a twinkle in the eye of uh, Jim Simons and and the foundation. We'll hear more about that this year. It's going to be a great celebration. I'm also in the process of writing my fourth book, which will be a second volume of uh, this book over here in the background here in the studio, in the Into the Impossible studio. Into the Impossible, Think Like a Nobel Prize winner, volume two, coming out later this year. We're on uh, deadline for that. Look for that. You'll hear more about that. Featuring nine new, never before written about interviews that I've done with Nobel Prize winners from various disciplines, including Peace Prize and Economics Prize, and of course, a ton of physicists, including some who have never really done podcasts or interviews like this before. And we distill their wisdom and knowledge into actionable information that no matter if you're a car salesman and Oklahoma, or you're an astrophysicist in Nebraska, anywhere in between those two very distant locales, you will benefit from that knowledge and wisdom that I've been the beneficiary of, and you guys get to be the beneficiary of as well. Last thing, remember to go to my mailing list, BrianKing.com. You'll get a chunk of meteorite if you're one of the lucky winners. I choose each month. We've got 10,000 plus people on the mailing list. I just can't believe it. Yeah, I really just started the podcast in earnest four years ago in the spring of 2020 during the height of COVID. And I've been able to uh, really grow it and, you know, really exceed my uh, wildest dreams. We hit 100,000 subscribers earlier this year, uh, sorry, in 2023, and we'd blown past that, doubled that. And I don't see a reason why we can't keep on growing all the way, you know, maybe to the million mark. We'll see because it all depends on how generous you guys are by sharing it. I don't charge anything for it. In fact, I give a lot of stuff away and I want to keep doing that because it's uh, really a true joy to be able to do this. So got about an hour in this uh, special Q&A episode and let's uh, rip right into it. Okay, so there's a lot of you guys giving me comments and congratulations. I've seen your channel grow, says TCL5853, and it's more than well-deserved. Thank you so much. Kudos to me and my team. I do have a great team. Shout out to Ryan and the Legacy Podcast media, uh, Podcasting team uh, all around the world. They do such a great job turning the videos into masterpieces and audio episodes and we try to do a little bit different for each you know, format, the video versus the audio. And uh, so you can find that at briankeating.com slash podcast. Uh, it's on Spotify, obviously. iTunes and Google is going doing away with their podcast software, but you'll be able to find it on YouTube podcast. 
Um, let's see. Uh, Mirtha Minchinadure8260 says, Doctor, best wishes. Hopefully 2 million soon. Well, I don't know about soon. It's taken four years to get to 200,000. So 10xing that, um, you know, soon. Uh, but it can happen. And hopefully you guys can be a part of it and say you knew me when. Uh, so it's been such a such a great uh, and lovely ride. And so many of you are just congratulating Chad and Randa. Uh, maybe it's two people. Maybe it's one person. Says very best wishes to you and the family. Thank you so much. Got the Into the Impossible family. And my research team here at UC San Diego and Chile and the Simons Observatory. And of course, in the podcasting sphere. It says, hey, foot on the gas, bro. Don't be a punk B word and don't sell out. All right. Well, no worries there. I'm not going to sell out. Uh, I don't know who would be buying me. But um, but this is uh, this is kind of a passion project. So I love doing it. And I uh, love when you guys give me these uh, give me the opportunity to speak to a camera something that didn't really exist for me and as a as a possibility for the career uh you know kind of break from my day-to-day job uh which i get to do and talk to these phenomenal people i've talked to 18 nobel prize winners a couple of pulitzer prize winners some billionaires astronauts writers uh, researchers and uh it's just going to keep growing it's just going to keep getting bigger and better all right Karen Kuhner3307 asks, if someone wants to learn about physics, but it's been a while since he, she had anything to do with it, what books or people would you recommend to read, follow? Also, congratulations. Here's to many more years of success. Thank you, Karen Kuhner. Um, so there's, you know, there's a lot available on YouTube. I don't, you know, currently uh, position what I do in terms of only learning lessons about physics. It's not organized like that. I do teach cool experiments and do some solo episodes, as does my friend Sabina Hassenfelder, who's, you know, the best in the business and as an educator and active researcher. Um, and there's, you know, tons and tons of, of assets and things online that you could find. Um, so starting off, you know, the basis of physics is math and having a curiosity and understanding of it. So if you really want to get deeper into physics, that's um, where I would start. So stuff in math and, and doing stuff. Um, you know, I am not this video, but I'm sponsored by brilliant.org. Uh, yeah, you can visit my uh, brilliant.org list. I um, my uh, link will get you uh, some discount subscriber subscription. I'll put a link to that here down below um, in, in the comment section. And they have you know tremendous resources for learning you know, basic science, math, and I actually use it just for fun to learn about computer science and stuff. I'm not a particular expert in. And you know, there's only so much time to develop expertise in my own field of, of cosmology, let alone to really go deep into these other fields like biology or uh, computer science. So I really like them. Brilliant is a, is a great opportunity. Of course, you know, it's not free. Uh, there are other courses. Um, I've recorded a course for Peterson Academy, which will be a four, um, you know, it's, you'll have to pay to subscribe, but you'll get access to all their courses and great educators from John Verveke and Brett Weinstein and many other uh, luminaries, Jordan Peterson himself and Vincent Harenam and uh, maybe some some past guests that you've seen on this podcast as well. So that'll be coming later 2024, uh, but that's significantly more expensive than Brilliant. But look for, I'll have uh, some codes and stuff that you can get access to that resource. And then obviously books. They're great books, uh, depending on what you want to specialize in. Uh, Sean Carroll has had uh, some success with his uh, book series called The Biggest Ideas in the Universe. The second volume is coming out in May. And the first one was about, um, uh, you know, kind of the mechanics and, and gravity and forces and so forth. And he's going through his list of his YouTube channel, which he recorded, you know, three or four years ago as well. So you don't have to buy the book. You can just go to his YouTube channel and he goes in great detail and he's a great educator. So that's free on YouTube or you can get his book uh, or do both. Uh, you know, I'm sure he would appreciate the, uh, the book sales as well. Okay, next question. Life42. I love you, Dr. Brian Keating. All the way from Florida. Mitzvahs for life. All right. Wow. Shabbat shalom to you. Callan uh, Barnes7669 says, best hair in science, Brian. Thanks. I 
recently paid it off. So I am quite thrilled that I still have it. I don't dye it. I'm starting to get a little gray over here, over there. That's okay. I'm 52 years old. You know, it comes with the territory. Uh, so, you know, I always say people complain about getting older. I said, you know, beats the alternative. So uh, just a great season of life. Last year, you know, uh, it was uh, one of the best years of my life. Not the best year of my life, of course, you know, tempered by the tragedies in Israel um, in October, right after I was there and in September for my birthday, my bar mitzvah anniversary. Uh, so that put a damper on the year. Uh, but we'll get through it. And, uh, you know, hopefully uh, things will come out better than before, stronger, more solidified, and I hope to get back to Israel. Maybe even this year. We'll see. Um, got a lot of cool trips and stuff planned, uh, meetups with uh, people ranging from, uh, you know, my friend uh, Peter Thiel and, and others in the, in the spring to a uh, trip possibly to Japan. I've been in about 10 years see my buddies, my collaborators at the Japanese Space Agency and in Tokyo, University of Tokyo, and that'll just be phenomenal. Okay, next on coming up, uh, Jared PC one Congratulations, watching you from Mexico. Thank you. Gracias, I say. Uh, next up, and sauces and ends, and and sass. You guys have very difficult to pronounce screen names. Uh, well done, and thank you for your persistence in doing more than just a podcast. Thanks, I do do that. Um, I really want to connect, as I say, a million minds to have a STEM education for free and being able to get a uh, get access to the world's greatest minds. You know, where you guys get to ask them questions. I always post opportunities for you to ask questions of my guests. And nothing's going to change. In fact, we'll, you know, maybe even toying with the idea of doing some live episodes with good friends and past guests and want you guys to look forward to that and maybe join me in person. That would be a real phenomenal thing to do. Okay. Well, anyway, Anis, he asks, uh, so I will ask you for something more because I give more than just the podcast. I remember when you went hiking in nature and that seemed to bring you great pleasure. Do you still do it or have an exercise routine that makes you feel good or Goggins, and cons consequently sharper? If so, we'd like to know. Yes, I do try to exercise six days a week. Uh, on Sabbath, I rest, though I do like to walk. So yeah, I go to the gym, uh, try to do the gym five days a week, and hike, you know, kind of on the weekends with my kids and my wife. Uh, I do love being in nature. I forget where that episode was. It might have been in Wyoming. Uh, a couple of years ago, um, sought refuge from COVID, and we get to go back there uh, on occasion to a, a little secluded spot outside of Jackson, Wyoming. That's a real incredible place. And I don't get out as much as I'd like to. I, I would like to do more, and I do love to hike here in San Diego County as well. It's the only place I've ever lived where you can go surfing in the morning, and you can go skiing in the mountains, cross-country skiing, not really downhill skiing. Uh, where places like um, uh, Mount Laguna or even where uh, Mount Palomar is in San Diego County, and it snows there. In fact, this weekend, I'm recording this in you know second half of January. It's quite cold, and it's supposed to snow above 6,000 feet, and it's supposed to be warm after that. And so one could surf and then go hiking on the same day. Now, I don't know where you live, but uh, it's pretty much the only place I've ever known where you can do that. Now, Goggins uh, is a special breed. Uh, you know, for me, the main thing is is, is fitness. Uh, I do like lifting weights. I do do a lot of um, what's called my routine is called strong lifts. Basically, six different or five different exercises, alternating you know three days a week. Uh, always involves squatting, um, and then it alternates bench press, deadlift, lats. Uh, shoulders, and maybe one or two other things. So I do like doing that. Um, I've always been into weightlifting, playing football, doing stuff, wrestling, jujitsu, Krav Maga, trying to get more into flexibility as I get older because, you know, strength is great and it makes big difference according to people like Peter Atia or Andrew Humerman uh, in terms of longevity and quality of lifespan, not just, you know, health, they call health span, not just lifespan. But I'm trying to, um, you know, also always continually battle the weight 
and you know try to always i'm always on a diet i've never not been on a diet now since i was about 10 years old uh, and it's a struggle and it's something you know it's my one addiction i've never done a drug in my life and despite you know joe rogan trying to get me to try some mushroom cocktail or whatever he had i didn't do it this is not a mushroom cocktail uh, anybody who's wondering I've had a cold for about two weeks, not COVID, but some crud that I probably picked up from a kid. And it's been pretty brutal. I haven't been able to really work out or go, you know, in the ocean. Um, just taking a walk. I try to take a walk every day uh, by myself or with my kids, a couple miles, get those steps in. And it is, you know, no doubt it does blow you away things like depression and amps you up and gets you you know in a creative mindset and also for me i get kind of debilitated being on telecons i mean most of my job is being on telecons or meetings in person it's not really like building the telescope or analyzing the data from it uh, it's kind of advising students on how to do it so when i can be on a telecon on a zoom call and take that on my phone and go for a walk, you know, around campus, especially a beautiful campus. It's huge. There's a forest on campus. That's my secret kind of getaway. When you see me in nature, sometimes I'm over there. And I'll maybe I'll do more walk and talks like that. Uh, it's been kind of um, a while since I did that. So yeah, got to get out, got to get nature, especially, you know, change your mood, change your mindset. Those are the kind of only sorts of, of routines that I can imagine uh, giving advice about uh, where I've been doing it, you know, essentially my whole life. I'd like to, if I could lose a little more weight, I'd be back on the running track and running through campus rather than just, you know, walking through campus. But, you know, 52 year old knees, you got to be careful. Um, okay. Thanks for that. Chris uh, Zach Tian, 3532, says, Congratulations. My highlight. On this journey was you with Brian Green. Also loved many of your other guests like Frank Wilczek, Carlo Ravelli, and Keating in the Royal Institution. You really made a guy. Yeah, that was a huge highlight of my of my professional life. I was uh, able to speak at the Royal Institution, the hallowed halls of Michael Faraday, of J.J. Thompson, of uh, Arthur Eddington, and uh, Keating. And so, yeah, being there was a was a true highlight. Uh, one of the two, they made two videos. One is a uh, you know the hour long. Uh, discourse, which I got to give. I was locked in a room before the actual presentation. My kids, two of my kids locked me in the room and I uh, was uh, forced to wait there because tradition has it that Michael Faraday was once forced to give a talk because the speaker abandoned his post right before the lecture, got nervous and, and bugged out. And so Faraday initiated a, a rule for this type of talk called the discourse that I gave in June of last year. Uh, that you got locked in, the speaker got locked in the room before speaking so that he could not escape or she could not escape. So that was really fun. So that video uh, did pretty well. It's got 80-something thousand views in a couple months. But then they made a short, and the short is, I mean, it's not my best work. It's not my favorite video of all time, but uh, I guess it was pretty cool because it's got 6,200,000 views of me with a, a polarizer and showing what polarizers do to light. So it's pretty, pretty unbelievable. Anyway, Chris says, I suggest you should retire now and enjoy the rest of your life. All right. Well, this has been fun. Thank you, Chris, for the advice. Signing off, right? I'm not going to retire, Chris, but uh, he says, or will there be even more? Wink, wink. Yes, sir. There will be tons and tons more. This year is going to be even bigger than last year. Uh, although last year was pretty hard to top with appearances with Jordan Peterson, Joe Rogan, and Ben Shapiro, and many other things I got to do and uh, have done to me. Uh, and that was just uh, an unbelievable ride. And, you know, I mean, for me, the, the, the thing is to kind of just keep doing the great content, keep getting the great guests. And the way that you guys can help, again, is really, I mean, it's its kind of surprising. I mean, I, I do this with, with videos and channels I watch, but I forget to subscribe. I don't you know, leave a comment or I don't leave a thumbs up. But it does help. I mean, the algorithm, sometimes I'll have some video and just be something you know, I recorded six months ago. And I'll see it. It'll just be like going exponential and getting, you know, 200,000 views in a weekend. Something I did, you know, six months ago. So who knows? But it has to do somehow with how many people are sharing the video. So there's a button with an arrow. Just click share. Even if you share it, if you just click uh, share and then copy the link and then paste it into another browser. So if you go from Safari or Edge to Chrome 
or Firefox, that counts into the algorithm. And those are some of the biggest things you guys can do. Again, totally free. And that tells the algorithm that this is a share-worthy video and YouTube likes that you know, more than anything, because then they can, you know, sell more ads, I suppose. Um, and, you know, I don't control how many ads get really shown or, you know, which ads get shown. It helps offset the cost of my team. It's, it's very expensive to do this. And I'm not support. I get zero dollars. I get nothing from UCSD. People always ask that. And, you know, I can make a decent amount, but it costs a lot to support a team of, there's 14 people on the team all over the world run by my friend Ryan Helms and, um, in Austin, Texas. But, you know, it's a tremendous amount of work to post, to have show notes, to have uh, content, um, uh, Twitter posts, Instagram, TikTok. We even have a TikTok channel, Professor Keating. Um, and, you know, it, it takes a lot of time and money to do that. So, um, you know, I try not to do too many uh, subscriptions. Like I said, I, I, or, or promotions. I do have Brilliant. I do this thing called Ground News. There's a couple other places. I try not to do like VPNs. And, you know, like, do you really care what I use as a VPN? Keating VPN. No, I, I, don't, um, I don't have my own VPN yet. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, uh, next question comes from swag at panda 23. Okay, that's reasonably easy to pronounce. Congratulations, Dr. Kate. My question for you would be to list out of five of the most promising fields in physics that you think could change the world in the upcoming decade or two. Well, I'd be lying if I didn't say cosmology is going to change things, especially because we have these incredible observatories like Simon's Observatory, Vera Rubin Observatory, the Nancy Roman Space Telescope, the James Webb Space Telescope is just getting started. Um, there's neutrino observatories like Ice Cube down at the South Pole. I spoke to Francis Halsen, the PI and founder of it, a um, year and a half ago now. Um, and uh, just there's so much happening in astrophysics. Because it is the highest energy access that we have in the cosmos, it behooves us to really study it and see if we can un unravel the, uh, the properties of these mysterious concepts that we are confronted with for everything from black holes, um, things in the black hole um, space. I just talked to Andrea Gez yesterday. She didn't want to come on the podcast, I have to say. Uh, I was disappointing, but you know, I'm used to being rejected by women. But um, but she she and I spoke for a long time about her research and how, you know, things are going to get even more impressive with the 30 meter telescope and the giant Magellan telescope coming online in the next 10 years. Uh, and so, you know, black hole physics, event horizon physics telescope, uh, imaging other black holes, understanding gravity in extreme circumstances, all these extrasolar planets that are being imaged and um, and uh, mapped out and their spectra. Um, so. Cosmology, number one, it's got to be. Um, that's possibly self-interested, but other field. Condensed matter, novel materials. You saw this past summer how interested people were in claims of high temperature superconductivity, room temperature superconductivity. That's going to revolutionize uh, the world. And it's, there's no obstacle to it. We're getting close to it. Um, we still don't understand the theory behind it exactly how it works. Um, that's a concern. Um, so there's a lot of progress that can be made in theory and experiment, material science. Uh, then, of course, there's fusion uh, physics. There's um, laser and optical physics. Uh, these are branches of condensed matter physics, both theoretical and experimental. Uh, and then there are um, uh, obviously LIGO and gravitational physics and strong gravitational fields, more and more understanding and cataloging of rare events and seeing if we can see simultaneous astrophysical, uh, you know, astronomical telescopes seeing events when they are observed by LIGO and Virgo. Eventual space-borne version of LIGO is planned and, and hopefully uh, on, on the not-too-distant horizon. And then in terms of um, 
the uh, the kind of inner world biophysics, you know, kind of designer materials and and applications of those materials in the biological realm um, uh, for you know kind of. Uh, Understanding not only how to benefit life as it is now, but perhaps how life originated in the beginning on Earth. You know, I might say lastly, I'm really excited about the application of artificial intelligence to physics, how we can uh, perhaps generate or discover new patterns, new laws in physics. I'm kind of skeptical about that, but that doesn't mean I don't think it's a promising field of physics. So it's computational physics, it's machine learning. Um, I'm quite interested, again, you know, when you put two buzzwords together, quantum computing and, and artificial intelligence, uh, we, I don't think we've seen really any super promising applications yet from quantum computing other than, you know, understanding quantum physics better, which is incredible and truly important. Um, and maybe that will lead to some breakthroughs and understanding the, the Lagrangians that are involved in high temperature superconductivity. But I wonder if, if there is some special synergy that could occur when you marry quantum computing and artificial intelligence. And um, that coming online could could really be truly revolutionary. So I think there's, you know, it's the most exciting branch of, of science as I, you know, as far as I'm concerned, people are always interested in it. it covers everything from biology to cosmology, from the whole universe, to, you know, astrophysics to zoology. Everything is contained in physics. And, you know, I feel just particularly lucky to be on the cutting edge, at least in the cosmology uh, realm when it comes to the Simons Observatory. My colleagues are so insanely smart and energetic. And uh, we built an observatory from scratch. I mean, there's nothing up there. It was bare rocks. In 2019, July 2019, went up there with Jim Simons, Marilyn Simons, David Spurgle, and we broke ground on the, uh, on the observatory. And, you know, last year we got, you know, the first uh, photons coming in the front end of one of the telescopes. So four years. And that required a tremendous amount, you know, pave, paving over the top of the mountain, uh, building diesel fuel power generators, getting the diesel fuel up there and getting tens of thousands of detectors that were operate at 0.1 Kelvin to actually start operating. It's really incredible engineering. And then that's just to get to the point where you get data and, you know, get the time order data into the uh, disk drive and then actually analyzing a terabyte of data, you know, every, every couple of weeks and then processing those to actually get to cosmological parameters and solve these really grand questions like the age of the universe, the composition, the fate of the universe, the origin of the universe, physical processes like Lorentz invariance I'm super interested in and you'll be hearing more about properties of neutrinos, dark matter. It's just going to be, you know, it's the experiment of a lifetime. So I am just, you know, kind of having to wrestle with what am I going to do <laughs> Uh, when this is over, I mean, it's going to be over. It's going to be working for 10 years. I mean, we have 10 years of, of uh, observations planned with it. Now, upgrades to it have already been uh, funded by the NSF here in America and by um, uh, the, um, the United Kingdom, Japan. Um, we have other people interested from around the world as well to upgrade. And we're going to be observing and eventually combining with co collaboration called CMB Stage 4, uh, eventually, hopefully, in the early 2030s. You know, so I'm in my 60s then. And, uh, you know, just so many brilliant students getting their degrees and professors and postdocs and, and just this flood avalanche of, of just the most groundbreaking research that I could ever hope. I mean, so beyond my wildest dreams. I'm so lucky. And, uh, and it's really a joy. And I'm going to take you guys on a ride with me because you guys, although the project's, you know, entirely for now is entirely privately funded. As I said, the National Science Foundation is funding the upgrade to the Advanced Simons Observatory, doubling the number of detectors uh, in the next five years. Uh, you know, so that's supported. But I always feel this moral obligation that you guys, you know, allow me to do what I do and give me this outlet and share this, you know, channel and uh, and everything that I try to bring to you. And I want to give back and answer your questions and give you the information that you crave and and that you're entitled to. So, you know, it's my small way to pay pay things back. Okay, next one, Sam Cena, 3942. Awesome job, Dr. Keating. You deserve it. I do have a question which I asked many times was not fortunate enough to get selected, so I try again. If the universe had a beginning, how can it be infinite? 
assuming it's flat? Ah, that's a really good question. So uh, the, the, the answer is that if it had a beginning, the, um, the ability for information to traverse the universe or size in the universe is finite. So for example, we believe that the universe is flat, spatially flat, um, but you can have something that's spatially flat and it doesn't, it's not necessarily infinite. And uh, because the universe had this origination moment, we believe if the Big Bang is correct, although we should test that hypothesis, it certainly is um, has a radius that we can ascribe to it. And in the case of the Big Bang model, that radius is roughly three times the age of the universe times the speed of light. It's roughly 46 billion light years in radius. We don't know that it's not infinite is the answer to your question. So it could be that our universe is sort of this volume, which is spatially flat, inside of a vast, much vaster, perhaps infinite set of four-dimensional points in you know, what you could call the entire cosmos, or you could call that the multiverse. And there could be other universes in different locations, which have different properties that, for example, aren't flat. That's completely in the realm of possibility. So um, it is possible to have a compact universe that is uh, expanding, but if it had a beginning, uh, it doesn't mean that what we say is our observable universe is finite, so it's not infinite. So the region, the volume of our of our universe is at least forty six billion years in radius, and then imagine a, a you know a, um, a spherical region of three dimensional space with that radius. So uh, the diameter being, as I said, twice that distance, and the geometry could be flat within that region, assuming it has what's called the critical density, which all indications seem to point to that our universe has a critical density, meaning that it is spatially flat. Any three tri any triangles you make in the universe, no matter if those points are stars, planets, galaxies, or patches of the cosmic microwave background radiation, all of those triangles have an interior set of angles that's sum to 180 degrees, and that's the definition of flatness. So yes, we do have a flat universe. Uh, we don't know if it's infinite. It may be finite. This may be all there is. And there may be nothing beyond, if you like, that, that region of the universe, but there's nothing that prevents it from being infinite and just inaccessible to us because the, there hasn't been enough time for light traversing at the highest possible speed to reach our telescopes and detectors and indicate that the universe is, in fact, beyond the visible uh, radius that we see. So that's a great question. Okay, George Dubinin, 6288. With your YouTube success, would you call yourself a pop science scientist? Do you think that's necessarily a negative term? Do you think it should be a negative term? I love the podcast. Cheers from San Diego. Thank you so much. Um, I don't know if I'm a pop science scientist. Uh, I do like communicating to the public, the populace. Uh, I do enjoy it. It's a skill I didn't know I had and something I'm working on and trying to improve upon with you know, coaching and, and studying of um, you know, great master communicators um, from the past, like you know, great Carl Sagan and current ones like you know communicators like Joe Rogan and uh, Lex Friedman are they're, they're great at you know kind of popularizing stuff. Now where, I, where I'm different from people, there aren't very many actual scientists. Neil deGrasse Tyson is no longer doing science. He had a very, very short, brief research career, um, and then and you know pivoted and went into you know directing the Rose Planetarium and Hayden Planetarium, and um, writing books. And so he wouldn't call himself a scientist. Brian Cox is a professor. He's you know. That my knowledge hasn't written, you know, ex, you know, an extensive oeuvre of papers, and he does primarily seem to occupy himself with popularization and and outreach and books and and speaking tours and stuff like that. Um, I don't think it's a negative thing. I, I kind of see it conversely. It should be encouraged that you know my my hobby horse is that more scientists should be doing this because we get paid by the public. You know, Brian Cox works in a, you know, lives in a socialist, no, it's not socialist, but he lives in a, in a, you know, a country is, you know, completely supported by, there's no like private funding for experiments or, you know, observations over there. So yeah, he's a public servant. I'm a public servant. You know, I teach at the public university of the state of California. So I do believe that everybody should spend some time learning the skills to communicate to the public, not with a goal of making it um, their primary career like Tyson or even their side hustle like me, but simply uh, developing the muscles and the skill set needed to 
enthuse the general public that does support us so that they'll continue to get a sense that they are getting a return on their investment. You know, during the 60s and 70s when people were landing on the moon, you know, it wasn't clear that, you know, everyday life was getting better or you're getting better education, but there was a source of pride for people going to the moon. Uh, now it's private industry, you know, SpaceX, they're getting paid tons of money and, you know, Elon's the richest guy in the world. But, um, uh, but that doesn't mean that, you know, people are getting a tangible benefit from it, even though they might have pride or interest in it. So for me, it's like you should really do as much as we can to engage the public and by doing that, that does kind of enhance my appreciation for what I do. And it really does inculcate the sense of gratitude that I'm going to be, um, you know, continuing to support you uh, in this mission, which you guys provide support to me by, um, you know, asking these great questions and, and, you know, and just showing the enthusiasm and sharing and, and everything that you guys get to do. So for me, it's, it's not a negative term. It shouldn't be a negative term. Even if that's all you do, like Tyson, I don't think it's bad. Uh, you know what he does. I'm not going to give him grief. I don't agree with all of his positions and, you know, I've been on the show. He's been on my show. Um, but you know, I, feel pride in that there aren't many like real honest to goodness professors that are also doing podcasts. You know, Sean Carroll recently became a professor, you know, for the second time. Uh, now he's at uh, Johns Hopkins. His Mindscape podcast is, you know, is pure communication and, and popularization. He has great guests and and uh, great conversations. So he does it. He's a real professor. <laughs> Andrew Huberman's a real professor. You know, he's, he's a real scientist. He's, he's, in that, by definition, I mean doing research, publishing papers, advising students, um, you know, interacting with faculty, meetings, uh, serving on committees. You know, I just came from a – we had an, an, uh, a committee to give honors and awards to other professors, students, and postdocs. Or um, we have a graduate admissions committee meeting this week. Uh, these are all things, you know, service jobs that real professors do that, you know, someone like Neil deGrasse Tyson is not going to do that. There's nothing for him to do. But, you know, if he can bring in, you know, a million people per year into the Hayden Planetarium, that's phenomenal. So, um, and I don't begrudge people that don't do it. I just think they're missing out. And you have to ask, you know, when people are not doing stuff, uh, is it because it's too hard? Like normally I've had this debate with Sabina and, you know, she's, oh, no, scientists should just do science. And if you want to communicate, you can communicate. Uh, because it's not their skill set. It's not easy for them. Well, this isn't easy for me. I had to learn. I've been studying this for the last few years. I'm not that great at it. But um, but I'm better than somebody who's even better than me who never does it. So, you know, for me, I'm in the arena. I'm trying to do it. I'm not perfect. I'm trying to improve. Super fun. And um, I enjoy it. And so I think people putting that together, it's like if you said, well, uh, I, I, you know, I don't do quantum field theory because it's too hard. Well, what if you're, you know, what if that's your, that is your job? I mean, just because something's hard and it's not in your natural skill set, you shouldn't do it. Like I told you, I exercise, but I don't like exercising half the time. Uh, you know, some sports I like, I like to go skiing, I like to go surfing. Uh, but other than that, I'm like just running around a track. I mean, I don't like that. I know there are psychopaths that do like that, Ryan Holiday or somebody like that. But uh, I don't like it. Um, so, you know, so not doing something because it's hard, that seems to me like be a tremendous cop out. Now, they push back and say, I shouldn't say it's a moral obligation. It's kind of tongue-in-cheek. I'm not going to damn you to eternal damnation if you don't do it. But it may benefit you. Communication, outreach, conversation, engagement. Talking to a camera is a very different skill than giving a lecture to a bunch of undergraduates. They're both amazing, and they both take a lot of work to be good. Okay, Dr. Teddy Wilding says, well met, old chap. Thank you. Governor. Okay. This guy, I can't pronounce his name. What the, I'm like a F, F word. I'll say what the F word. Honestly, I haven't learned anything from you. You've ever said on any podcast, but I do feel you have some important role to play in all this unfolding. I hope you make the right choices defined by yourself and that deep truth of yourself that I hope you learn to commune with. We will see the fundamental shift of human authority back from those exercising distant authority because the future may fall to you. Then you know. Many of the gods' most critical servants were humble. The frailty of the servant exalts the name by which they conquer. Wow. 
Um, I wish I could pronounce your name uh, legally on the line. Um, and he goes on to ramble about some other stuff about mortal beings and keep yourself also humble so it may be useful as a servant. Um, humility is a constant theme. I do think about it. I'm no Moses, who was the humblest man who ever lived, which he wrote himself in the Torah, uh, supposedly. So, uh, you know, we can always be more humble. But in science, you have to have a little bit of swagger as well. You can't only be humble. You can't only think of yourself as less than or unworthy. Um, you must also have a little bit of swagger. In order to accomplish great things, you have to dare greatly. You have to have a little bit of chutzpah. And those are, uh, those are necessary ingredients. Humility mixed with a little bit of nerve uh, are the two kind of secret ingredients to get just the right proportions. Uh, it's always a challenge, but it's one I'm going to continue trying to meet. Okay, the memes of destruction. Longtime friend, congratulations. Thank you, my friend. Pete from the woods says, must be doing something right. Keep it up. Thank you so much. Okay. Uh, Chris Tinley, 5213, says, Can you have Eric Weinstein back on to talk more about his theory? I think it's really interesting. It's hard for me to understand. I like that, lol. He's brilliant, and maybe he could try explaining it also. Geometric symmetry, I think. Uh, please excuse my spelling. I'm a thinker, not a writer. Love what you do. I'd also see the Newton doll, please. Uh, the Newton doll is, um, he's on sabbatical right now. I don't know where he is. So Eric and I talk a lot. I talked to him recently after the new year. Um... You know, he's been in an interesting phase of his life, kind of withdrawn a lot from the you know, public public scene. Uh, you have noticed he's, he's not really been been available on uh, Twitter. He's kind of withdrawn from that. Um, he's, he told me he's experienced, you know, just tremendous hostility, pain, frustration, um, not personally, but just kind of the world – collapsing and people uh, just just showing their worst sides. And, and I, I agree. I've seen some horrible things both in the online space, but also even in person on campus, you know, having people, you know, celebrate the martyrs of Hamas on, um, on October 8th on this very campus um, and really just just completely upending my view of what a university was. And I think Eric also has been traumatized in some sense by – all the events we saw, you know, his three academic institutions at Harvard, MIT, and Penn, uh, and the presidents and their awful, abhorrent behavior in front of Congress. And I've been talking with a congressman as uh, a friend of mine, Kevin Kiley, uh, who I've known for a while now, a big supporter, great, uh, brilliant young guy who's got a huge, incredibly brilliant future ahead of him. Uh, in Congress and maybe even beyond. And, you know, Kevin and I have been talking about ways that we can improve higher education. And one of those ways is really to democratize and make it cheaper, make more students get accepted, have school go, you know, full 12 months a year. Why do I need three months off every summer? I, I love what I'm doing. I do it for free. <laughs> um, and uh, we can have, you know, have 30, you know, 25, 30% more students on campus if we just did it all year round. And imagine the different community. We turn away whole graduating classes every year. And we already have a huge campus, but uh, this is just one campus of the thousand top universities in the world in America. Why, why is it that all of them shut down like my kids' elementary school in the summer? It doesn't make any sense. So Eric's been, you know, uh, justifiably disillusioned. We have had plans to get together. I want to. He wants to do the next podcast in person, and so do I. So it's just coordinating our schedules. We're going to do it. We're going to done soon. Uh, I'll get him to talk more about geometric unity. He's had some uh, new ideas about it, new thoughts about it, um, and uh, some excitement, and maybe connecting it cosmologically. I'm always trying to figure out you know, ways to make predictions that are observable in the cosmological uh, field that I have access to rather than, you know, purely um, high energy particle physics or string theory predictions. I have no uh, special inclination or ability to test. Uh, so it'll happen and hopefully it'll be in person. And I, I'm trying to do more in-person interviews. I did one with Craig Venter uh, in December. That was just one of my favorite episodes. Didn't get that many views. I'm kind of surprised because he said some stuff on that podcast 
very critical of, you know, Anthony Fauci and Francis Collins, who is his rival on the Human Genome Project that he just utterly obliterated um, back in uh, the early 2000s. Um, he's just a bold, outspoken genius, a real maverick, has a sailboat, goes around the world, is a multimillionaire, has founded multiple companies, and he's just so... He's just so funny and, and bold and such a great scientist. I mean, I just learned so much from him. And uh, yeah, I just want you guys to show the love, you know, uh, always leave a comment on the videos. But yeah, share them because the more people that see, you know, kind of that's a, a once in a lifetime interview. I, you know, I don't know how many podcasts he's ever done. I think it was his first. Uh, and he's just, you know, a unique individual and, and same with, uh, Stephen Wolfram. I got him to, I stumped him on one of my questions, kind of, he was said he had to go and think about it. And this is, this is a guy who said he finally understands quantum mechanics. I think Richard Feynman, his former tutor and teacher would be, uh, be quite, uh, quite impressed and maybe shocked to hear him say that. So yeah, look for an interview with Eric coming soon. Don't know when, but it'll happen. Okay, do you hold any opinions, HR Brown 29 asked, our understandings now that you didn't before you started YouTube? And if so, what are your thoughts on how working exposure in different spaces influences people's growths and worldview? That's a great question. As I said, this is a very different track uh, than being a professor. So, and being a professor isn't, there's not just one skill, professor. Uh, and similarly, there's not just one skill of being a podcaster um, and doing interviews. And or making solo videos. I make a lot of solo videos. I've had, um, you know, slowed those down just because I've gotten so many opportunities to talk to these amazing guests, like, you know, Brian Green, Stephen Wolfram, uh, Sam Harris coming soon, Mo Gadot, um, Verveke, all these incredible people. And so I haven't had time just to go into the studio and record, but I will. I'll, I'll do some more solo videos. I really enjoy those. Those are fun. And love to give you sneak peeks into research and what it's like to be an experimental physicist, unlike, you know, Brian Green or... Or, uh, you know, Brian Cox or Neil deGrasse Tyson, whatever. I do experiments, and that's a very different skill set. So, yeah, I've learned a lot from um, talking to people and, and kind of being a better, trying to improve as an interviewer. I, I have a tendency for the first three years, I've, I've tried to improve it, you know, meandering questions and trying to be too focused on what my guests thought of me. And, Perhaps I was trying to impress them or, you know, um, and it came off as me dropping names. But in reality, when you meet somebody on a podcast, something I didn't appreciate, maybe you don't appreciate. A lot of these people like, you know, when I talk to Sam Harris, I've never met him in person and he doesn't know anything about me. And so there's a huge asymmetry of information. Uh, I don't expect them to do like read my three book, you know, no, he's a guest on my podcast. And many of these people have been, you know, done many, many podcasts. And so when I would say, well, I talked to, um, you know, Donald Hoffman, uh, when I'm having a conversation with Robert Sapolsky about free will and consciousness or Sam Harris, you know, I'm not doing it to drop names of how important I am. I mean, they wouldn't have agreed to come on the show if they didn't think I had some value or importance. So that, yeah, they wouldn't have come on. So I'm not trying to necessarily impress them, but just to say, well, here are the bona fides that I have. I'm not coming to this like a newbie. I've done my research. I've talked to other people. I'm hoping that you, Sam, Sapolsky, whoever, will give me some insight into an effect or theory or idea that I didn't understand from the previous guest. You know, I've, I've continually said that I have great difficulty talking with people you know, talk about consciousness because it's so squishy, ill-defined, and they seem to not even be able to define, you know, <laughs> these terms like consciousness and so forth. I mean, I had the foremost, you know, progenitor of the idea of consciousness, the heart problem, you know, David Chalmers, and I didn't come away feeling like, wow, now I finally get it. So I had a tendency to, uh, to really, you know, kind of um, meander and ask, you know, rambling questions in a sense, uh, always in, you know, trying to have it in good faith. And I'm trying to do more pushback. And you'll see when the interview with Sapolsky comes out, if it's not out already, you know, I push back on him. I, I don't agree in his sense that there is no free will. I approached it from an experimental physics perspective rather than just, you know, like, I feel like a lot of the interviews with him are people that already bought, you know, what he's selling and, and I didn't. And so I was respectful. That's the key. You can't, I can't talk to somebody, even if I vehemently 
in some cases dislike them. Uh, Noam Chomsky is not one of my, you know, I wouldn't want him to watch my, you know, my kid. Um, I have a lot of respect for him scientifically and a lot of um, disrespect and, and concern for him as a, as a political thinker, as a, you know, as a um, sort of a pundit. And I think he's had some really abhorrent views, especially around COVID and, and even around politics and, and certainly around Israel. So um, now, if I went off on him, you know, that's going to be the end of my, you know, podcasting career. And I don't think that's a, a good way to go about it. Now, I'm not like Lex Friedman. I'm not going to just like everything is love and just, you know, only going to ask softball questions. And I'm not saying Lex only asks softball questions, but um, he's his prime directive is to increase love in the universe. That's his mission. My primary directive is to spread wonder, uh, knowledge, and curiosity to the world. So it's a little bit different. We might overlap, and you know, I've learned a lot from Lex and, and being a guest on his show. But it's very different. It's a different vibe that that he's trying to construct. And I don't really know too many people that do that are pushing back. Um, and I think that. It's kind of a form of what they call benign bigotry of low expectation. Like if I push back on Sam Harris, is he going to not like me? And so what if he doesn't like me? You know, is he going to be my my best friend? No, I mean, that's not really my goal. My goal is to ask questions that you guys want me to ask. And if I'm pulling punches, you know, because I'm talking to, you know, Sam Harris, uh, you know, am I going to talk to him about Hunter Biden's laptop? Uh, I mean, that's not like something where an experimental astrophysicist has a sp specific area of expertise. So I think the worldview of, of talking to people, treating them like they're your friends, um, is dangerous, but it's, uh, it's an easy trap to fall into. Similarly, just doing what your audience wants you to do. Like if, if, if I had my way, I did a survey you know, last year and you know, asked, what do you guys want to hear about? And I was afraid it would be like, oh, aliens and get David Grush on and get this guy and talk, you know, smack down Mick West. And, um, and I even got criticized by a certain podcaster, his name I'm not going to mention because he's kind of uh, gone off the deep end. But, you know, oh, well, you won't come on my show and you just don't want to talk to somebody who really knows the truth about aliens. It's just truly preposterous. Uh, there's no evidence that they have any scientific bona fides. And then he was like, lying about, you know, that he got me my first thousand viewers, even though I met him in 2021, two years, a year after I started the podcast, when I had 25,000 subscribers, and now I've got twice as many as he has. So, you know, just like, there's just so much passion about like UFOs. And, and I'm pretty, you know, I haven't seen any evidence for the existence of extraterrestrial life, let alone extraterrestrial intelligence, let alone intelligence visiting the earth. Now, that may disappoint you because that's you believe that and you believe there's conspiracy, the cover it up and the government's somehow miraculously been able to obscure this, co uh, co you know, conspiracy for the last 80 years. And yet they can't, you know, keep the most basic facts about, uh, you know, uh, other other types of conspiracies uh, hidden for more than a couple of days. And, and, you know, all the different scandals of every single presidential administration and even conspiracies that didn't happen, you know, a Russia hoax and this thing or the, you know, uh, uh, the Fast and the Furious under Obama or, you know, whatever, or the Biden and Burisma, let's say, that did or did, you know. They're so inept on one hand, the government, but they're so they're the most prolific. I mean, they put to shame, you know, the Chinese Communist Party, um, you know, in terms of suppressing information, our government, because uh, they've been able to cover up the biggest news story in the history of the planet. And for what purpose? So anyway, you have to be careful as a podcaster. And I've learned that because it's very tempting. I've seen people, my friend, you know, Kurt Jaimungal, he's done so much content in the alien space and you know, and he's probably better than anybody about it. And, you know, obviously Lex has done a lot of these podcasts and I have to, and I'm just not that interested in it until I see, you know, significant evidence. And then I'll be probably one of the most interested people on the earth, but it hasn't risen to that level yet. Now I'll still talk to people like Avi Loeb and Gary Nolan and, and Eric, you know, is very interested in this. He's also become obviously disillusioned and, and claimed that, you know, this is almost complete nonsense as far as you can tell, interdimensional beings and, and biologics from non-human entities. And, and he's talked to, he knows Grush personally. They, they talk on the phone all the time. And, uh, and he doesn't believe a word of it. So uh, I don't think that this is, you know, a direction that would be fruitful for me to continue going down to and investing in, even though I know I can get tons and tons of views 
and subscribers and whatnot. It's just not worth it to me. It's called audience capture. And I, I, I refuse to do it because, again, I'm not doing this for my living. You know, if I had to make a living off of Kurt or Lex or, you know, Joe, or, you know, they make their living off of it. I get paid a decent amount for being a professor and I love doing what I'm doing. And that's my job. And this will always be my hobby. And the worst thing you could do for the love of your hobby is to try to monetize it. So, and the easiest way to monetize it would be to just do whatever you guys want me to do. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to ask questions that I think you guys want me to ask questions. I'm going to get guests that I think you guys want me to speak to, but I'm not going to pander and say, um, so this, is, this has been a, uh, a revelatory thing that HR Brown is asking about, and, uh, and I'm, uh, I appreciate the question. Okay, Miller Joe uh, 4582 says, it's almost irritating. It's not $2 million, considering the importance and topics you bring to the table. Well, you guys can keep keep me growing. You know, it's just as I said, do me a favor right now. Just take your go to the little arrow, which is a share arrow somewhere down here, and uh, and click on it, and then copy the link, and then whatever browser you're using, you probably have another browser on your phone or your computer, and just paste it into that browser, and that'll count as a share, and then like it on that you know account or whatever, and then send it to your to your brother, to your friend, to your kid. The more people that subscribe, I mean, only like 20% of you watching are even subscribed. And I, I get it. It's, you know, I'm lazy too. Like I said, I watch, a, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm on a bunch of podcasts and I just get lazy and I don't subscribe to the channel. So just do it. And the faster we can grow and, you know, the faster it's a, it's a truly positive feedback. loop. So the more that you guys can help in the process, the better. Okay, Daily Daly Steven 7855 says, I'm interested in hearing more discussions on the energy front, sustainability. Where are we heading? What's viable for us? Electric fuels versus fossil fuels, battery industry, nuclear, green energy. Great question. I plan on doing more of that. I've had on uh, people like Steve Coonan. I had on Tim Palmer, who was you know, recipient of the Nobel Prize in 2006. And I had on David Friedberg from the All In podcast. So yeah, what can we do in terms of new technology? Um, a nuclear, I'm a huge proponent of nuclear energy. We have six nuclear reactors 10 miles from campus, uh, you know, in the San Diego Bay and the different aircraft carriers, submarines and so forth that we have in the port. Totally safe, never had a problem. No reason we couldn't hook all those up to, you know, the power grid. Um, San Diego's pretty blessed with sunshine and wind power and everything. The desert, not Mojave Desert's not far from here. I'd like to see every flower bloom, nuclear, green energy, wind, solar, uh, battery technology. These are just fascinating things. Power generation in space. Um, and then, of course, on the efficiency frontier of reducing losses, uh, superconducting technology. Um, and low cost energy, which also involves cool things like literally cool things like cryogenics and, and vacuum technology. Um, this is a, you know, wave of the future. And if we're not careful, we'll, you know, we'll fall behind. We've already not had a new, more than one nuclear reactor built per year, uh, longer than since nuclear power was invented. In other words, we've only had one come online in the last couple of years in America, where other countries are coming online. And then there are other countries that are decommissioning, like Germany and Japan. Fascinating question. I do plan on doing that and look for um, new uh, discussions on fusion energy, laser laser power or laser um, ignition facility, and maybe some stuff on you know in person. We're actually building a large photovoltaic um, array, power generation, and battery for the Simons Observatory, this uh, NSF grant that we got, Mark Devlin at UPenn, uh, my, my partner in crime. Uh, he le is the PI of the, the advancement proposal, and that's uh, going to provide you know megawatts of power capability, make us the first green observatory in the world, uh, you know, on the Earth's surface. And every single uh, space telescope is, is green energy powered. But, uh, but no, we're going to have actual replacement for a large amount of the diesel fuel that would otherwise be, you know, up in smoke. Okay, Emily Hollins53 says, I enjoy this channel. Appreciate your hard work. Thank you, Emily. We have a lot of women that listen to the channel. I love it. Um, more and more spread the love. Um, I, I also get uh, comments from my female colleagues. Why don't you have more women on? I've had more women on as far as I can tell than any podcaster, including Lex and Joe. And um, but, uh, but I can always do more and I love doing it. And so, yeah, if you have suggestions for great scientists, send them my way. We do have some. I've had interviews um, with some uh, great women that are you know, in the uh, recording and editing process. Uh, but please send me more. Great scientists. I love to promote them, especially when they have books and 
things I can promote and help them promote themselves. How do you think of the expansion rate of the universe, asked Will Francis, in terms of raw speed? I often hear 70 kilometers per megaparsec. So it's 70 kilometers per second per megaparsec, and that's the so-called Hubble constant. So what the Hubble constant says is that if you go out a sufficient distance such that a galaxy that we observe, a star within which, uh, that galaxy is not being gravitationally attracted to the, to the Milky Way galaxy as, say, the Andromeda galaxy is, the galaxies beyond about 100 megaparsecs away from the Milky Way galaxy are within what is called the Hubble flow meaning that they are all expanding. There are no galaxies beyond that distance that are being attracted, say, to the Milky Way or the Virgo group or a local supercluster, Laniica or whatever. So instead, those galaxies are participating in the expansion of the universe, uh, which is, uh, which is uh, you know, pretty much the most important number in all of cosmology is the Hubble constant because the reciprocal of it is related to the age of the universe and its value is directly related to aspects of its composition, including the amount of dark energy and dark matter. So that means if you looked at a galaxy that's over 100 megaparsecs away, which is 100 times a million times a parsec, which is 3.24 light years, um, uh, you will see that galaxy and every other galaxy at that exact distance moving at a velocity of 70 kilometers per second per megaparsec, meaning that that galaxy, so it's 100 uh, megaparsecs away, so it's going to be moving at 7,000 kilometers per second. And the Hubble tension is the difference between the uh, value measured by the cosmic microwave background, which measures a lower value like 68, kilometers per second per megaparsec, and the uh, optical telescope measurements by Adam Reese and other people, space telescope, Wendy Friedman, that measure something like 72. And each one has a very small error bar, so 68 plus or minus a percent and 72 plus or minus percent. So those two values differ at the 9% level. And each one believes that they're right at the 1% level. So that's the so-called Hubble tension, and experiments like the Simons Observatory and the Vera Rubin Observatory and other observatories that are coming online will hopefully help to answer that. Knight3481 says that we're here because Michi Okaku and Eric Weinstein are out of control. All right, fair enough. Uh, Thomas, Cor Thomas Corbett says, I'm a very nice man. Thank you, Thomas. Redshift quantization say redshift is not a discount. So what is redshift? Why redshift quantization is a topic rejected by vast astrophysics community. So redshift quantization was a proposal in the 50s and 60s that uh, people like Halt and Arp, who was a great astronomer, claimed that they saw that redshifts were only coming in certain increments so that there was not a continuous spectrum, if you will, of the redshift. Now remember, the redshift is the amount of um, of, of uh, shift of the wavelength, either to the long wavelength, i.e. the red end of the electromagnetic spectrum, or if it's coming towards you into the blue portion, that'll be a blue shift. And one of the reasons is that there, we only see beyond this 100 megaparsec distance where the Hubble flow is set to begin, we only see uh, redshift. We never see a quantization where the de there's a decrement in the uh, redshift such that it's a blue shift. So uh, if there were, if this process were a valid process, you would expect to see equal amounts of redshift and blue shift, and we only tend to see redshifted objects uh, beyond, as I say, the gravitational influence radius of the Milky Way galaxy or of our clusters. So it's really, there is no real evidence for quantization of redshift. There's no plausible model that would explain it, why it would be quantized. These aren't photons. These are photons from the galaxies, but now the, the claim was that these galaxies were actually, their, their actual redshift, their location in space was actually quantized and that you shouldn't find objects at certain regions. That could have been because of systematic errors or bias in the survey and not uh, our ability to uh, actually determine them was the limitation rather than a true physical phenomenon where the redshifts were coming in chunks, a delta redshift of 0.1. We actually see a pure continuum. We don't see any evidence for quantization of redshift. Okay, last question. That's a good one. Edward Weiner says, is there a guest you really wanted to interview but would not let you interview them? Yes, there are many, many people who won't let me interview them, uh, ranging from Ed Witten, um, who declined to be interviewed. Uh, there are people who said they would let me, uh, they would come on the podcast, like Scott Galloway, who I received an introduction to, said he would do it. 
sent him five emails, never replied to me, which I told him is a very low class thing to do for, you know, somebody who, especially uh, being a graduate alumni of the University of California, to not come on. I'm a, you know, host of the biggest podcast, the oldest podcast in the University of California, you know, network. Although, as I said, the university doesn't support me at all, but they do tolerate me. And I appreciate that. So for ta uh, Scott, not as a, just as a alum of Berkeley and uh, UCLA to not come on and blow off this introduction uh, was kind of unfortunate, especially since I think there are a lot of people that would benefit and enjoy hearing from him. But you got to reply and there's no way to do it unless you reply. So Witten is one. Um, Nima Akani Hamed um, agreed to come on three years ago now. Uh, and he was really gung-ho. He's very, um, very uh, gentlemanly, said he would come on. Um, and uh, in the last two years, I haven't heard anything from him. So I'm not going to bug him. I'll, I'll, I'll get around. I'll, I'll see him. We'll, we'll do it in person. Maybe I'll host a, a conference or something and I'll, uh, I'll ambush him there. Uh, Peter Thiel has agreed to come on. I just have to make it happen. Um, he's a very interesting person to talk to, no matter what you think of him politically. I'm not, you know, super interested in politics per se, as I've talked about. Um, uh, I would, I would like to talk to, um, you know, I had Joe Rogan on. Uh, sorry, <laughs> I didn't have him. I was on his show, um, and I. I I'd like to do something with him. Um, I'd, I'd like to do something with Jordan Peterson. I've been on their podcast, Lex Friedman, and turn it around. Uh, I think the the one you know that that'll probably happen. Hopefully, this year is Andrew Huberman. Um, not from the perspective of like, well, tell, talk to me about you know light exposure and cold plunges. You know, he's talked about that ad nauseum. Um, and so what I think people like when I talk to them is as a physicist, they love to nerd out. There's so many closet nerds, science fiction nerds, uh, astrophysics nerds. Everybody loves astronauts. There's no one who says, oh, you're an astronomer. Oh, okay. Can you please pass the, the, the cream cheese? Uh, people are interested in it. It's a fascinating field. I get to do it. I'm, you know, on the cutting edge of what I do. I'm blessed to have a research group that's second to none and to do, you know, cutting edge publications and, top journals. So uh, I love doing it. And so what I'd love to do is talk to these people about something they've never talked about. Uh, when Andrew Huberman has not talked about, you know, kind of the effects of the electromagnetic spectrum or polarization of light or, um, or, or how, you know, diurnal and circadian rhythms are, are intimately related to the, to the fabric of our, of our planet and, and what those have to do. And, and actually the biological implications of the planetary limitations of our, of our home planet. So these are all incredible topics. Um, he's invited me on his podcast. But communicating with Andrew Huberman is like uh, what I believe it will be like when we first hear from an alien civilization that's, you know, kind of uh, more than 10 light years away from us. And that, you know, we text each other and then like I hear from him and then the next text I'll send him right back. You know, I'm like an eager beaver, right? Uh, except they'll come on the Huberman Lab podcast and then like three months later, we'll get another text. You know, we're setting it up. I'll wait for my producer. So um, it'll happen. And when it does, I'll let you guys know. And you guys will submit some questions for Dr. Andrew Huberman or for you know, Joe Rogan or whoever. And, you know, tell me I got a great list of uh, suggestions. And you can always send me suggestions at briankeating.com. I got about 50 different suggestions from you guys for um, either returning guests or new guests. Some of them are great. And some of them are, you know, actual guests coming on the podcast. So look for that. Uh, I just want to thank you guys. I'll see you at 250K and uh, hopefully beyond. And, you know, like I said, I really want to grow it. So you guys can do your part. It's totally free. Subscribe, send uh, your friends, you know, watch it on multiple channels, uh, multiple browsers. Uh, do what you can and uh, I just love it. And I love that you guys give me this opportunity. Look for more walk and talks. Look for some Q&As. I just, you know, love doing it. And I have a blast doing it and being with you guys. Thank you all from the bottom of my heart. 200K. Never thought I would be here. But now, once you get there, you get the hedonic treadmill. And now I'm like, hmm, maybe 250. Maybe 2 million, as one of you guys said. So thank you all so much. Take care. Stay tuned. This is only the beginning. Bye.